Ladies and gentlemen, episode 265 is underway. We've been on a two-week hiatus. And today we come back with real estate hot topics. There's been a number of things, big things going on in the market. And today we're going to go through the top four. Number one, BC's new 60,000 unit housing target. Number two, no Airbnb for you. Number three, no tax breaks for Trump. And number four, no mortgage defaults. First of all, on real estate hot topics, Benjamin Mark Robinson, ladies and gentlemen, backed by popular demand by all of you. And by all of you, I mean the three viewers who watched this and left comments. I'm back, full effect, just for this video. Mankles is backed, feet are back. We're in for a wild ride, Jay. Uh, number two on real estate hot topics, after me, of course. You continue. You're staying here for the whole video? Oh, yeah. Oh, Jesus Shrap fucking Christ. <laughs> okay, so I guess we're gonna layer in Ben's uh, comments. We might as well, now that we've got you here, for the entire video, with what's going on. So I'm gonna do a little bit of reading here, okay? Steady. Feel free to dive in. Not too early uh, with what's going on in these hot topics. <laughs> Just read already, please. <laughs> so BC revealed a 60,000 housing unit target for 10 municipalities over the next five years. Um, obviously in efforts to try and bring down pricing, affordability, bring more product to market. There is obviously an affordable layer to this. I'm assuming you're up to date on this as well. So your comments are gonna be relevant for once. Uh, BC government has ordered 10 of the largest municipalities in the province to build more than 60,000 new homes over the next five years or face consequences. Okay, so we've got a threat layered in here from the start. So essentially the NDP have said do this or we're going to impose consequences, which is the conservative notion that they've been saying for the longest time, that you have to meet these targets or there'll be consequences. So the NDP is now conservative. Okay. Vancouver expected to build 28,900 homes. That's 5,780 a year. Of that, they want 1,578 market rentals a year. Is in 1,578. That's what 1,578 means. I was just making sure that you weren't meaning 50,780. They're not going to make 15,000 of 28. I said interject later. Let me do the front end. <laughs> uh, BC is one of the fastest growing provinces in Canada with 217,500 new permanent residents expected to arrive in the province between 2023 and 2025. Did you know that? So they say all these immigrations, they're going to blend into the country equally. It's going to be fine. Obviously, it's not. They're going to where they want to go and the bulk of that is obviously Toronto and here in beautiful Vancouver. A report released this month by Canadian Mortgage Housing Corp, CMHC, that's your mortgage insurance provider for the most part, found uh, BC continues to build homes. If BC continues to build homes at the current rate, they will still be <laughs> short 610,000 units by 2030 by way of the immigration. So the government has pushed immigration, the government has threatened you better clean it up, and even 
if they clean it up to this degree, they are still short. A vast number. Ravi, how do you pronounce? Kalon. Are you sure? Or are you guessing? Kalon. Well, I, mean, I don't know the bloke, but uh... Kahalan, Colon, BC Minister of Housing. Home builders have been constrained by growing interest rates, higher building costs, and labor shortages. So basically, what we've got here is the government threatening the the the, the federal government saying to the no, I'm not even going to go that far back yet. This is the provincial government threatening municipalities, you need to do this and you need to get these built. So how do houses get built? There's two ways, the private sector, which this is referencing, or tax dollars, which we'll get into in a second. But obviously we have constraints in the building community by way of the cost of money. A lot of these mom and pop builders, even the big developers borrow money to get these projects done. Uh, so again, another government facet affecting all of this, the cost of money, and they're saying, make people build or face consequences. Khan said that housing targets will represent 38% increase in housing built in these communities. Uh, and young Andy Yan, do you know that man? Good old Andy Yan. From the uh, Simon Fraser University City Program, planner and director. One of the gentlemen who dove into the uh, report about 50% of Vancouver homes are paid for, no mortgage. Paid for in full. Uh, Mr. Andy Yan said this would actually be a 58% increase needed in Vancouver development. So the threat, as far as I can see referenced under the Housing Supply Act, municipalities that meet the targets will be eligible for funding for amenities, parks, bike lanes, recreational centers which we'll touch on in a second as well, uh, that they don't need to meet these because those dollars get gouged out of developers anyway for parks, bike lanes, and amenities. Uh, those that don't meet targets risk being overruled by the province, which has the power to rezone entire neighborhoods to create more density. Okay, so the threat is, is if you don't comply. If you don't comply, we will allow more density. They can't comply because no one's building on the density okay so hang on so you, you and i live in you and i live in dunbar um we're neighbors but because builders don't build enough in dunbar they're going to rezone us to be more multi-family even though we're not the builders building they will rezone the land they have the power to rezone the land to make to create more density yeah so multi-family can be put on so literally no ramifications, no threat, no actual damage to the builders themselves. No, and more importantly, We're no motivation to the builders themselves. And, uh, actually, it's probably motivation to do the other way, because if you're going to rezone for higher density, then there's more likelihood of profit. In theory, but the problem is not the density. The missing middle thing has already passed. The problem is not the density. The problem is that they're not doing it because the cost of money is so high. Yeah. So, an empty, <laughs> undirected threat, really. So, that comes back to the other side of, um, so that's towards private builders, which you simply can't make build unless it's economic to do so. Then we look at the already flushed money, the tax money. Can we get the taxpayer to pay? So, Premier David Eby, 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 
We're going to work with them, the municipalities, every step of the way, if they're struggling to meet those targets, we'll identify why and we'll address it. Already been addressed and overpassed. Money's too expensive. But to start on day one and say, we're not able to hit those targets is not gonna be the answer. Well, I mean, it really is, isn't it? Because the financial perspective, you, day one, you can sit there and you can do your calculations for how much everything's gonna cost. Realize that, I don't know, you're gonna be all in for a few million and you're only gonna prop, you, you're not even gonna make that back. I mean, that's a pretty day one answer. Like, Money's too expensive, they're not gonna build. Yeah. And it's... you can't, unless you're gonna motivate financially from a municipal level to the builder on the ground at the market level, you're simply not going to have a result here. And because for those of you who don't know, the way that the construction loans work is they are, while you're taking permits and while you're waiting for all of that disaster and process to happen, even the construction loan side, you get targeted on, you don't get the full money up front, you get it in segments once you reach certain targets, but the interest rate you're paying is even significantly higher than the interest rates that we're seeing out there for a regular mortgage. So, I mean, if you're qualifying for like 6% on a regular mortgage, it's not surprising on a construction loan to be like 10%. So it really does make a huge difference. The variance between those I can't speak on, but I know that they're floating rate loans. So as interest rates increase, of course, your your line of credits, which these essentially Jay are, will increase. Because he, he's not in the know. That's why I'm here. But anyway. Oh, so glad I didn't lock the door after coming into the room here before you weaseled in. So now from another level, there's more layers to this. From the federal government side now, there's a thing called the federal government housing accelerator fund. You've heard of this. Oh. Mr. Mr. Trudeau has mentioned this. This is a $4 billion fund. Now the blend of actual received tax money or the access to credit that your kids' kids are gonna pay off is a very murky uh, lake of funds, we'll say. You've probably seen a few announcements of like over in Ontario of like abysmal like 2,000 homes being built over the course of the next three years. That's all being funded or a lot of them are being funded from this housing accelerator that, that they mentioned. In theory. So Mike Little, mayor of North Vancouver, chimes in here. The Federal Housing Accelerator Fund, after the municipality discovered it would be eligible, North Vancouver got mm. eligible, for $9 million from the $4 billion fund to subsidize 3,000 homes. That amounts to $3,000 a unit, which is not going to make it affordable. So again, we're doing something, we're doing something, it's an absolute drop in the bucket. The announcement comes after David Eby says, it's pretty clear the federal government is not yet ready to share its renewable housing strategy or how it's going to work with British Columbia plans to take on provincial housing crisis. Doesn't have one. There's, again, you're trying to one size fit all everything like they always do. Um, Sean Fraser was going to announce again, the housing accelerator deals with Burnaby and Surrey on Tuesday. This is three weeks ago, um, but via social media announced the cancellation of uh, this advance of money due to proposed development cost charges, co development cost charge increases by the city of Vancouver. So we'll get into what that means. Uh, Callan says, uh, shares Fraser's concern about any measure that would increase costs to developers. 
So they want to make housing cheaper, they want to make more of it, they're threatening to do so, but they don't want the housing to be more expensive and they don't want developers to pay more money. So we got a lot of brick walls that this little plan is, is hitting against. Oh, yes. So now again, tying back into when the, uh, so these development cost charges are basically charges forced upon developers to subsidize community amenities, um, centers, cultural spaces, libraries, and all this sort of stuff. So the, the cities obviously see you want to build, there's infrastructure like more uh, sewage and water, yes, but we want money from you to spread around the neighborhoods as well. So in that development cost charges, um, they're phasing in, in Vancouver, city of Vancouver, phasing in increases uh, starting in 2025, which will basically bring the development cost charges, which were $6,249 a unit, up to $20,906 a unit. So that's the development cost charges. There's also development costs levies, you've got community amenity contributions. So there's all these layers. A few weeks ago it came out every, what was it, 30 to 35% of every new home built is, cost is built up of taxes, permits, and government layering. And oh, that's yeah. a massive aspect of, of this. So. It's very straightforward that there's expensive money out there. It's very expensive to do this, and the government is dangling these ideas, but they're not actually getting to the ground, the people that are out there having to do the building to actually incentivize them by way of some sort of cheap money to do so. Now, they have taken off the 5% GST on exclusive rental building development, um, but of course that's a very small fraction of the development that the private sector build uh, because they want to build market to get the, the highest price, get that return. So in conclusion to all of that, um, we also have BC Housing now when we're coming into the, the, the government side of things. 2018, there's a Homes for BC plan, uh, which allotted $700 million a year over 10 years. 2023, in the, there was a refreshed housing plan uh, for another $466 million a year. So that's totaling $1.16 billion a year uh, for BC Housing. And their mandate here is to develop, manage, and administer subsidized housing options. So again, dating back to that 1,700 of the 5,800 or whatever it was expectation target for Vancouver, they have almost $2 billion annually allotted. Again, what percentage of that is actual money? What percentage of that is debt is a question mark, but allotted to do that, but that has not advanced. They have chosen to push forward on threatening municipalities in the way they have. And that brings me to the final step of this one, the debt clock. Have you seen the debt clock? No, hit me with the debt clock. Debtclock.ca. So if three, two, one. So if you've been to New York, you can go downtown in Times Square or something and there's a debt clock, the national debt. Oh, brilliant. Just ticking away. So we have a Canadian one, debtclock.ca. Al, you're gonna pull that up right here. Federal bill right now, the federal government of Canada is currently in debt 1.2 trillion. And the province of BC, Yes, chump change, of course. The province of BC is in debt 101 billion. So again, you've got all this money sloshing around that's extracted from the people, extracted from the market, and 
simply just not being put to use again. So how do we fix this? In my opinion, we reduce taxes, we reduce red tape, and we streamline the zoning, not the threat, let people do the zoning they want, uh, or the building they want, open up the zoning, make it more flexible, but you have to remove the taxation burden off the ground level. Yeah, I, I mean, it's very black and white what the problem is. Uh, to, even if you're not a realtor, and you're kind of at least have half an eye on the market. So it just seems like there's all of these incentives, which I feel like we've spoken about it forever, that they're just always trying to skirt around rather than actually handle the problem that's right in front of them, which is actually causing the issue. 100%. To finalize this, uh, there was a report recently that shows new housing construction is a lower level today than it was at the worst point of the COVID pandemic shutdown. Yeah. So I'm when people surprised. had to stay at home, there was more development taking place than there is today. Well, what's interesting as well is when you contrast what we're seeing here with the market, whether it's um, buying and selling um, or renting versus like the US, they're actually seeing decrease in average rents in a lot of the big areas um, just yep. because there's a lot more supply. And, and of course, then when you look at like the wage difference as well for the same types of role, it's, it's a staggering, staggering difference. Yes, it's crazy. That's that. Number two, Airbnb rules. You're familiar with this. Uh, there was a condo owner that purchased a unit and was told that she cannot use it for Airbnb. Big surprise. Um, a BC woman who bought a condo plans to use it as an Airbnb part-time and lost her bid for the exemption to the strata bylaw prohibiting short-term rentals. So basically she bought it. There was no rental restriction in place for Airbnb. Before closing, a new bylaw came in. We no longer do short-term rentals. And then she tried to take the strata to court, and of course, she lost. The biggest thing here is, it was highlighted uh, regarding municipal rules, rentals are legally distinct from short-term accommodations such as Airbnb and VRBO. So the province has the last say when it comes to rentals. Um, we now allow them in every building. There's no number restriction like there used to be because of the current circumstance in the province. But Airbnb is simply a bylaw that can be put into place tomorrow. There's no grandfathering. Um, so there's a list of Airbnb buildings today. We know a lot of people, and you can speak to this, that want to buy Airbnb units, the rental return, blah, blah, blah. Um, you need, in theory, a letter from the strata to give to Airbnb or to give to the city to get the bylaw, or sorry, the business license to go to Airbnb and get access for your unit onto the platform. Uh, and if your building doesn't allow it, then you're not getting a license and you're not doing it. But it's one bylaw vote away. Always forget that. Two cents. Yeah, I think if you are buying something for Airbnb, especially with the pressure it's coming under now, it's you can go into buildings like Ferenz, Espano, and the Mark, who have actually voted on it previously. So that vote has already taken place. Again, to Jay's point, another vote could take place. Siri, shut up. And it could change the bylaws again, but it's much more unlikely for, for that to happen. But, you know, that's just an unfortunate, very unfortunate situation in between. I would question whether that contract had any bylaw amendments we need to be made aware of, like we put in all of our contracts. Yes, but they will be notified. Just so you know, Airbnb is no longer allowed. There's yeah. still nothing you can do. So, Just like a pet restriction. I think personally they're going to start coming down even harder on Airbnb and, well, short-term rentals overall over the coming 12 to 18 months. I agree, for sure. 
Number three, owners of BC court to overturn vacancy tax on bespoke ex-Trump penthouses. Mm -hmm. So we all know it's no longer called Trump, it's called Paradox, the rebrand of the big man down south and all that comes with that name this building was built in 2017 owners argue so the owners in this case are uh west georgia holdings which is the holborn group who is the developer of the tower very well known and reputable developer uh trump tower was built completed in 2017 basically long story short they held three units that they were saying they were doing bespoke renovations on so they took longer uh to do uh, three years? Well, <laughs> so, yes. Three uncompleted luxury suites atop the Trump Tower were exempt from the empty homes tax, which is over 400,000, uh, because they were bespoke suites, meaning they were extremely custom units, uh, completing long after because they were in theory waiting for all of this detail work to be done. So they have gone back, basically, uh, owners of the downtown building, now called Paradox, asking the BC uh, Supreme Court to order the city of Vancouver to refund um, the 411500 in vacancy tax that it paid in 2019 for the 2018 tax year. So basically 2017 it closed, we're still building them, 2018 comes by, okay, no, 2019 comes, uh, they take the money and they look back and they're trying to get basically the the money back because they're still not done. There's a vacancy tax, they have very strict rules, stuff like this, maybe a year they would have given them as they did initially, but when reassessed, they, they pulled it. So they have uh, not been successful, it looks like, in that uh, receiving that 411,000 back. Again, you try and go against the city and stuff like this, especially amongst the current climate with, even though these are extremely high-end units, uh, they're just going to come down on anything they can with regards to getting homes out to the market uh, on any level. So these guys got caught. Yes, they're developers, they can afford it, but still, without these developers, we don't have new units, always remember. So they're definitely not the bad guys here, but in this case, they uh, they don't get to spend that 411500 on... Uh, vacation or a new Rolls Royce or anything like that. They're Poor not that guys. they would buy that. Poor women. Poor guys no, they juke him. No, the, the guy in charge is a, is a, uh, is a man, but, uh, they, I don't know. They're fixing the units. I'm going to side with the developer here because those aren't going to market. So does it really matter? No, it's a cash grab from the, uh, from the government again. <laughs> okay. Last but not least, number four from betterdwelling.com. Canadian mortgage delinquencies are climbing, but stress is greatly overstated. Have you seen this? Not the specific article, but the premise of it, yes. Delinquencies, uh, so in Canada, delinquent mortgage is at least 90 days past overdue, which gives the lender the point to be able to pursue remedy. We talked about that a few weeks ago with regards to something. So, Canadian mortgages, rates are climbing, as we know, have climbed extensively, uh, creating more stress, blah, blah, blah. Equifax data reveals, however, that mortgage delinquencies have climbed from record lows in Q2 2023. So the interesting thing about this, Q2 2021, or 2022 was when the rates started to increase. So Q2 2023, uh, that's one year point of increased rates. Even at that stage, we had record lows in delinquencies. So people were hanging on, doing what they needed to do. Uh, 
That may present some concerns until some context is provided. The delinquency rate is climbing from lows, but the rates remain much lower than they were pre-pandemic. This is interesting. When interest costs were less than half, of course, of what they are. Okay, so I, my caveat on this, I look at stuff like consumer debt levels when it comes to like credit card spending and things like that. Those have been going up pretty significantly. I think year over year, it's probably up about 17%. The average balance of Canadian carriers on their credit card. So I think this is just a case of, I do think they're right that the stress is overstated at the moment. I think when interest rates are this high, the question is not are people holding on, it's how long they can hold on for. And as of right now, they can hold on pretty good. Obviously you mentioned before, like the article about 50% of people are, are mortgage free, but you can only hold on at higher interest rates for a certain amount of time because it's not just higher interest rates, it's inflation, cost of food, everything else. Even though gas is relatively cheaper at the moment. 173 I filled up on the Don't other day. you ever. That's disgusting that I'm saying that that's cheap. Anyway, nonetheless, because I think a lot of people are putting more and more on the credit cards and that consumer debt spending shows that, but inevitably it gets to a point where you can't just keep doing that because you've got to pay it off and I mean, you're going to have to pay off your credit cards, but then you've got your mandated mortgage payment, and that's when you're going to start seeing the delinquency rates coming in. Yeah, and you've got a lot of flexibility now, again, as we've talked about as of late, that the banks have been mandated again from the feds to be a lot more flexible these days. Um, however, these are the d delinquency rates, which is the 90-day point. If they get their, their amortization pushed, this is still a reference of who is delinquent at 90 days. National delinquency rates rate was 0.15% in Q2 2023, uh, flat from previous quarter and a year prior, and it's 0.01 point higher than the record lows but still nearly half of the 0.28% delinquency rate Q1 2020 before all this stuff took place, which is very interesting. Vancouver more specifically, which is all we care about, delinquency rates climbed 0.09% in Q2 2023, just again 0.01 point above the record low. The number of delinquencies would need to rise by 55% to get back to 0.14% delinquency, which we saw Q1 2020 before the pandemic. So Al, we've got a chart here uh, of mortgage rates, mortgages that last at least 90 days past due across Canada and the three large real estate markets. So the mass delinquency narrative that will bring prices down is debunked as of right now. If you're waiting for the mass delinquency, I think rates are gonna to start to come down. I don't think they're gonna go up anymore. I think they're done. October, I think 12th is the next meeting. Uh, I'm gonna call, I've called it all the way. That's what I thought it was the 25th. I think it's 12th, whatever, you're probably wrong. I'm gonna call it that <laughs> it's not gonna adjust anymore. We're in our one year hold period and the people have to wait 11 more months to start seeing that downward pressure. So we're not gonna get the mass defaults. Half the market doesn't care anyway because they don't have mortgages. It's just, it's roses out there. Yeah, it, it's a bit of a catch-22, well not catch-22 situation, it's a double-edged double sword. Jeez, I can't even talk. I must be nervous, right, right. being in the presence. Um, because I don't think the real damage would come unless rates are still high in that 
2025 to 2026 period because that's when whoa 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 that's real china i don't think it is calm down actually real china bone china dishwash safe look at you there it is i would never dishwash it wedgewood england 1759 gotta stay cultured but uh back to my relevant point um, Invest rates are high in 2025, 2026. That's when you're gonna start seeing all of the people who took you know, the five year fixed uh, rates at really low rates having to renew at these higher rates and then of course plus stress tests. And even those who are on you know, somewhat going higher rates but took like the two or three year mortgages thinking that things are gonna change, that's when I think you'll see quite the shift if rates are still high and then that then becomes Will they remain that high for that long? Will will the Bank of Canada do that? Is there going to be like a an under the table nudge because GDP is so reliant upon housing, and you know there's going to be an election coming up? And I when's the election? October 2025, I think. Uh, I think they have until then to call it right. I think well, like it will be next week, but carry on. I think that the the question now is to that point, how early from that year that they in theory, will hold it, will they start reducing it to then say, look, we're doing something? I don't think they're going to... I can see another 0.25 this year. Um, yeah, so I'll put that on record. Okay, that's the uh, that's the difference right there. That's I the think, challenge. Um, but, and again, I don't see them starting to come down until like Q3 next year. So a year. Yes. Yeah, so yeah, yeah good, that makes good sense. close to it. And that's when it's going to be an interesting time so i do think certain areas are going to be kind of hit more like i think fraser valley and housing you're already seeing those those prices come down and but i don't think vancouver is going to be affected anywhere near the same way that those kind of areas are so again as you've always said it you know it's still very area dependent on what's going to actually happen with those with those pricing which is what everyone looks at delinquency rates for because you have everyone being like yeah the market's going to crash and it's going to tumble saw a uh a very reliable source of course twitter now dubbed as x the amount of brand equity lost in that name change still blows my mind but anyway um the big man doesn't care about any of that no but uh anyway on twitter now x somebody was saying the other day that uh vancouver will be a 70 to 80 percent uh value drop um, and they based that upon the mid to late 90s, I think it was, drop in oh. Hong Kong real estate. Oh, really? Yeah, because economists apparently now say that we are, are, we are the biggest bubble yeah. of real estate of all time. And when that bubble pops, she's going down! But uh, 70 to 80% is uh, pretty drastic. Especially when you look at the immigration numbers. <clears throat> I don't buy it. Yeah, I think all the money that has come in and been put here, it loses that whole Hong Kong didn't did Hong Kong, correct me if I'm wrong, did they mention this? How much inflow of outside capital came into that market before it popped? Well, the ironic thing actually about that downturn <clears throat> is if you have a look at um, at the activity, there was still quite a lot of homes selling. So the numbers were fine. Mm -hmm. It was just um, it was just significantly less in value so and that was kind of like a spiral not spiral down but like a steady decline down like most of the housing markets are wasn't there outside money was it from japan that there was a lot of outside money coming in don't know but um 
Yeah, so I mean, remains to be seen. I could see an adjustment in those areas, yes, but I mean, 70 to 80%. Wishful thinking. I mean, you, a million dollar home is gonna be 200, 300,000. Like, uh, I just I can't see it happening. Not due to market circumstance. If there was some sort of way bigger currency collapse, blah, 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 I mean, that would make sense, but I don't, I don't see it if everything, just if all the framework is still in place. Yeah. I think that's it. Do you have anything else to add? No, I've been sat here for the better part of 40 minutes. I should never have said yes to doing this. You weren't asked. You walked Please. in behind me. Waste of my time. Jesus Christ. But you people, as always, you make it worth it. So thank you for joining us again. I'm pleased to say that we are done yeah, for this you're week's all video. joining me. And he will be back next week without me, I hope. Pleasure, as always. Unbelievable. Thank you for your time and energy. See you next week.